How's everybody doing tonight? How's that uh, 44 ounce quick trip drink? My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to uh, talk with you guys today. Uh, we are preaching through our core values right now. Um, and uh, you might ask, you know, why spend time preaching three core values. Clint, can you turn it down just a, a hair? Just a um, You know, one is for information. You know, we, we want to tell you our core values for information. Uh, we want to tell you who we are. You know, what, what do we believe as a church? Why do we believe that as a church? You know, what things are important to us? Um, and, and we want to preach to our core values for reminders as well. You know, these things, you know, we feel are very important. You know, and, and as we preach through them, as we look into our lives, are we living out these things? Are we living out these things that we see are important because Scripture sees them as important? Uh, I looked up core values on Google, and uh, one of the top searches that came up was uh, Whole Foods. Anybody know what Whole Foods is? Anybody a fan of Whole Foods? Whole Foods is a, it's a, it's a pretty cool... Um, Guys, that's that's it. I'm, I'm, that's a wrap. Uh, Whole Foods is a grocery a grocery store chain, and uh, they had a section of their core values. Uh, and they said on their website that they wanted uh, their core their core values were what they would stay true to as the company grew. So as the company continued to grow, these are the the core things that they wanted to stay true to. Um, and so I was reading through their core values, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. I agree with that, you know, and I agree with that, and that's a good thing. And uh, this, is, this is something I could combine with, you know. I could, I could shop at, at Whole Foods. Uh, I might only be able to shop half as much as Walmart, but, but I could shop there. Um, and uh, so we're going to go through our, our core values real quick. Uh, the first one that we covered was gospel-centered. Uh, the gospel is more than just the way to get saved. It is the means and motive for everything in the Christian life. It is more than A, B, and C. It is the A to Z. And so we believe that uh, the gospel is the central thing, not only for us to come to Christ for salvation, but also the thing that we need to focus on in order for us to grow in Christ and continue down the path of sanctification. Um, as we grow and as we become more like Christ and uh, as we continue to die to our flesh. Uh, the second thing is missionally minded. Uh, missions isn't simply something that's done on the other side of the globe. The call to make disciples is for all Christians everywhere. Because all things have been brought under Christ's authority, we want to visualize what a redeemed version of our city would look like and work towards that end. And so... We want to be missionaries here in Hannibal. We want to, because we're gospel-centered, because the gospel is a central thing in our lives, we want to then be missional in our city. We want to, to not only live the gospel in our city, but speak the gospel to people in our city as well. Um, we want our city to, to be redeemed. So what would a redeemed version of Hannibal look like? Like, what would a redeemed version of, of whatever you're involved in here in town look like? 
You know, what would a redeemed version of your job, what would a redeemed version of the college look like? Uh, what would it look like if Christ completely shaped and changed everything in our culture and redeemed it? Uh, and we want to work towards that end. Um, and so we want to be missionally minded. Uh, the next one is globally focused. The gospel is to be preached to the ends of the earth and to every creature under heaven. At the end of time, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will be worshiping around the throne of God. Therefore, it is our responsibility and call to help take the gospel to every language and people group on the earth. And so we don't only want to, the people in Hannibal to hear the gospel. We want people outside of Hannibal to hear the gospel. We want people who have never heard the gospel ever. There's never been a gospel presence in their town or their village or their home to hear the gospel. And so we want to send people to then share the gospel to all parts of the world. Not only us, but the church, the church as a whole as well. We want to be a sending church to where people are going out and sharing the good news of Christ. Uh, we want to be globally focused. Uh, the next one is biblical leadership. The church is not man's invention, but God's design for his glory and the care of his people. Following God's intentions for how the church should work, not practicality or preference, is essential to maximize both our good and his glory. Uh, we want to be a church uh, with Jesus as, as the head. You know, Jesus is the head pastor of our church. We have a group of elders that sits under that. Uh, and we have a group of deacons as well uh, that serve the practical needs of the church. Uh, the elders serve as shepherds for the church uh, in teaching and in doctrine and in guiding uh, the church under Christ's leadership. Uh, and the deacons help with the practical needs of actually serving the church. Uh, we want to be a church that reflects uh, how God intended it to be. Uh, and then the one that we covered last week was meaningful membership. Um, committing to a group of saved sinners is vital for advancing in the Christian life. It also is essential for carrying out Scripture's commands for Christians towards one another. Since the church is the body, knowing who is part of it is not a small thing. Uh, and we talked about uh, being a member of the church uh, and, and why it is important to be a member of the church. Why is it important to be known within a group of followers? Why is it important for the, the elders to actually know who the members are? We, you know, we talked about so they can care for them, so they can pray for them, so they can actually shepherd for them. So they, because they're taking account for their souls, they need to know who it is that they're accounting for. And, we, and so we talked that uh, meaning, meaningful membership, that membership is meaningful. Uh, this week we'll be covering worship as a lifestyle. Uh, as, as Americans, we have a somewhat preconceived notion of what worship is, um, you know, based upon our culture, especially if you grew up in a Christian home. You know, you grew up going to worship services. Uh, it was a time slot in your week. Uh, I grew up going to worship services uh, many times during the week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, we had worship services or uh, things of that nature. You know, when people are talking about uh, music preferences, oh, did you get the worship music? Did you get the new worship album? Um, and so, you know, people think very narrowly towards, towards worship in that ways. Um, sometimes, 
you know, and sometimes our, our worship is very ritualistic. Uh, it's, it's very much based upon our order of service um, or our liturgy in the church. Uh, and so, you know, if, if things were changed, you know, like in our service tonight, if, if we did things completely different than we normally would in the way we arranged things or the way we did things, you know, would you go away feeling, uh, yeah, I didn't really worship today. You know, I didn't really connect today because, you know, the songs that I like weren't saying or, you know, there's just the music wasn't there tonight or, or just I wasn't feeling it tonight, you know. Um, you know, and this very thing uh, is the cause of people church shopping, you know, or, or church hopping, hopping around to different churches until they find the right, uh, you know, mix of worship, you know, where, where the worship leader, oh, they really like him, or he sings the songs that they're, they're really into, you know, or the pastor, he preaches the things that they really like, um, and he's really good, and so we'll go to this church, and we'll go to this church. Um, and, it, and it comes down to, you know, who has the best music, and who has the best preaching, um, and it's all about the personal experience, uh, and sometimes we, we can find uh, worship to that. Um, I think that's a bad theology of worship. And so we're going to get into worship. What is worship? Uh, but first we're going to look at uh, maybe some things that, that worship is not. Uh, number one, worship is not only done by spiritual people. Uh, many times we think that Christians are the only people who worship. Uh, John Piper, in his book, uh, What Jesus Demands from the World, says this. He says, Everyone in the world worships something, from the most religious to the most secular. All people value something high enough to build their lives around it. It may be God or it may be money, but what makes it worship is the driving power of some cherished treasure that shapes our emotions and will and thought and behavior. Uh, I, want, I want to look at this in the Bible. Uh, so let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Uh, you can find that in the Black Pew Bibles on page 939. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking uh, first... Uh, verses 18 through 25. 18 through 25. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so that we are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, 
who is to be blessed forever. Uh, And so you see in this passage that people exchange the glory of God for mere images of God. Uh, And they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they begin worshiping things that were created instead of the creator, which is God. Um, And so all people are worshiping something. All people hold something so dear to their hearts that it drives them. That, that, that's what they make their life about. And if that thing crumbles, then their whole life falls apart. And so everyone, everywhere, is worshiping something. Uh, we are all worshipers. It's not that we have a problem worshiping. It's that our problem lies in that we, we don't always worship God. Um, Donald Miller, in his book, uh, Searching for God Knows What, talks about if an alien came down and was hanging out with him. Uh, you know, and, and so I was thinking about this and thinking about worship. You know, it, it's not like the world domination alien. It's like an alien you know, who just wants to know about human culture and you know, things like that. You know, he's not looking to, to take over anything. Uh, so, so he talks about this alien who comes down uh, and, and what this alien's view of the human nature and human culture would be. And so I started thinking about this in terms of worship. You know, if an alien came down who had no idea about anything human nature, just came down and was an observer, what would he think that we worship? Like, what would he think is the object of our affections? What would he think is, what is our hope based on? You know, would he think that we worship this thing in our living room that plugs in and all the, all the chairs face it? You know? Would, would he think as we're walking, you know, uh, in St. Louis and we're walking by the Cardinal Stadium and he hears 45,000 people just chanting like Albert Pujols, you know, or, or chanting, you know, about the Cardinals and everybody's in red and everybody's like pouring their emotion out to this game? You know, would he be like, oh, that's, that's a place of worship. Those people are in there worshiping something. Um, you know, what would he think that we worship? Uh, you know, would it be your boyfriend or girlfriend if he was around you? That you're always just hanging on and hanging on every word. And if anything's ever messed up, you're like totally shattered that day. And you don't even want to leave, you know, your room or whatever. Um, you know, in, in other cultures, it's very easy for us to pick out false worship. For us to pick out worship that is not worship of God. Um, Harmony and I went to China a couple of years ago. Uh, we were uh, in the Sichuan province, which is farly, pretty far west. Uh, and we went up into the mountains where the Tibetans live. And uh, the Tibetans are, they have Tibetan Buddhist worship. And so it was very easy to pick out that they are not worshiping the one true God. Uh, you know, you could see their prayer flags. You could see... Uh, you know, the little cards that they'll throw in the air for the wind to come through and, and, and for prayers to go up. Uh, you can see their, their temples. You can see their shrines where they're burning incense, uh, things like this. It's very easy for us to pick out false worship in other cultures, but it's very hard for us to pick out false worship in our own hearts and in our own lives and in our own culture because these are the things that we're used to doing. These are, this is how we live. And so sometimes we don't see things as false worship. We see things 
as just activity or as things. Um, so everyone is worshiping something. Uh, number two, worship is not merely a style of music or singing. Um, well, this is a huge biblical part of worship, singing is. Uh, it is a terrible definition of worship. It, it, it encompasses a very a small aspect of worship and a very biblical and a very good and a very important part of worship. But it is not a good definition of worship because it only encompasses a very small part. Um, many Christians make, the, make their singing uh, or what, what style of singing, you know, is, is it hymns, is it, is it praise choruses, is it, you know, uh, is it this kind of music, is it this kind of music, you know, I can only worship to this kind of music and I can't worship to this kind of music because that music's too old or that music's too fast or that music's too new. Uh, and, and so we base worship sometimes on the songs that we're singing. Uh, Psalms 47 6 and 7 says, Sing praises to our God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a song. So it is very biblical to sing to God. Uh, and that's why here at Believer's Church, we want to pick songs that are rich in words to God, that, that tell and proclaim the truth about God. And so we want to worship through song, but that is not, that is not the definition of worship. Number three, worship is not connected to a time or place. Uh, so while worship does happen in times and in places, uh, hopefully like tonight where we are, we are worshiping corporately, we're praising God for who He is corporately here. So while worship does happen in times and places, uh, it is not necessarily connected to a time or place. Uh, let's look in the Gospel of John. Uh, if, if you have a, a Bible, it's in, on page 889. We'll be looking at John chapter 4, 19 through 26. John chapter 4, 19 through 26, page 889 if you have one of the black pew Bibles. Um, this is a fairly well-known story about Jesus with the woman at, a, woman at the well. Uh, of course, Jesus being a Jew, this woman being a Samaritan, um, there's a huge cultural clash uh, between these two people. Uh, Jews did not speak to Samaritans, much less ask them for water. And so Jesus starts a conversation with this woman who is shocked that he is even talking to her. And they start talking about water, uh, that Jesus is the uh, living water, uh, not just mere water. Uh, and so we'll, we'll start on, on verse, in verse 19. The woman said to him, I'm sorry. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain 
nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus here claims to be the Messiah, and he claims that a new era of worship is here now. He says, there will come a time where we won't worship on this mountain, or in Jerusalem. But, but the Father is, is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so worship is not connected to a specific time or a specific place. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see that God had special manifestations of his presence in specific uh, places and times, um, like in the temple in the Old Testament, and the Holy of Holies, you know, when you talk about the Holy of Holies, uh, inside the temple, you know, God's presence was, was a special manifestation of his presence there. Uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, when they're carrying around the Ark of the Covenant, even if someone would touch it, they would die, because God's presence was, was specially uh, in that place at that time. Um, but now, because of Jesus, we don't have to run to a specific place to worship. Even though we do corporately gather as a church to worship, we don't have to only worship here. This is not the only place we worship. Um, because the Father gives us His Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And His Spirit leads us into truth. And we worship God because of who He is, who has He revealed Himself to be in the Scriptures, in truth. And so... There is heart and there is head. You know, there is um, emotion and there is truth. You know, some people are, are on one spectrum or the other a lot of times. Either they're real, real logical about things, real head knowledge, you know. Oh, I'm going to, this, you know, they're real logical. Uh, they're real heart, you know, big on the, on the head thing. And they're real big on the truth thing. But their emotions never get engaged, you know, and, th and their heart never gets engaged. And then there's people on the other side who their heart has always engaged and their emotions are always engaged, but they have no idea what it's about, you know? And they're singing like prom songs to Jesus that have no scriptural foundation at all. Um, and, and so, you know, the Father is seeking people to worship in spirit, with our, with our hearts, through the Holy Spirit. You know, earlier in John it says, whatever is born of spirit is spirit. And so God has birthed the Holy Spirit within us, who are believers, so we can worship him in spirit, and in truth as well. And so there's, there's head and there's heart, there's emotion and there's truth. Um, and so we do not need a building. We need the risen Jesus to worship. Uh, John Piper was, was talking about the difference of worship uh, in, the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he was saying, that the main word used for worship in the Hebrew, uh, you know, is very much a come let us bow down type of worship, a very rever reverential 
um, posture type of worship. Uh, but in the New Testament, he says Paul doesn't use the Greek word that correlates to this only once in all of his letters. Um, and, and, he, and he says that uh, in the New Testament, there's almost an indifference to worship as an outward ritual, but a radical intensification of worship as an inward experience of the heart. Uh, and when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in both Matthew and Mark, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And so the Pharisees were worshiping God in vain because their hearts were disconnected. Their hearts were disconnected. So worship at its very core is a heart issue. And therefore, all of life is worship. All of life is worship. Uh, so what's a good definition of worship? Um, if, if these three things are, are, are not good definitions of worship, what is a good definition of worship? Uh, let's say that worship is living our lives as continuous living sacrifices to, to the glory of a person or thing. Uh, let's look back into Romans. Uh, we're going to look starting in chapter 11. Uh, that's going to be found on page 947. 947, Romans 11. And we'll be starting in verse 30, uh, 30, 33. Uh, Romans 11, 33 through 12, 1. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so you see here that Paul connects the ideas of glory and of worship. Paul says, to him be the glory forever. Um, the thing that we glory in, we will end up worshiping. The thing that we glory in, we will end up worshiping. Uh, and, and then we will sacrifice things in order to glory in it and to worship it. Uh, and so let's look at what glory is. Uh, glory means weightiness or importance, praise, fawning adoration, priority, uh, or that which is our greatest treasure, our deepest longing, and fountain of hope. Uh, Mark Driscoll, the pastor at Mars Hill Church, says, What we hold in the place of glory is, in effect, our real God. It is the thing, it is the who or the what that we will end up worshiping. The thing that we hold in the place of glory. The thing that we uh, holds the greatest importance in our life. The things that we praise. The things that we have adoration for. The things that, is, that are our priorities. Uh, you know, the things that is our greatest treasure and our deepest longings and our fountain of hope. If, if these things, these are the things that we 
will end up worshiping, the things which we are glorying in. Uh, if we look back uh, in Romans 1, which we read earlier, you know, we, we see that. We see that people exchange the glory of God for mere images. So they set as the highest object of their praise, the highest object of their, their, their adoration, things that are not God, and therefore, it says, after glorying in these things, they exchanged the truth about God for lie, and they worshiped created things rather than the creator. And so what they gloried in, they ended up worshiping. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or whether you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So your eating and drinking should be done in a way that honors and brings glory to God. It should show people that food is not your God, and that drink is not your God, but that God is your God. And so we should eat and drink in a way that we worship God, and that He is our greatest treasure, and that food and that drink is not our greatest treasure but that God is our greatest treasure. And so uh, here at Believer's Church, you know, we don't, we don't believe that people necessarily have a eating problems or disorders or, or drinking problems, you know. We believe that they have a worship problem, that people are worshiping the wrong things. They're worshiping food to the point where it's controlling them, or they're worshiping drink to the point where it's controlling them. And so... Um, and so we worship things that we glory in. The human, the human heart is an idol factory. I mean, we are continually churning out idols uh, in our lives. You know, it can be money, uh, family. It can be sex and pornography. It can be TV, video games, political causes, recreation, sports, hobbies, beauty, comfort, pets, and stuff. We really struggle with wanting to be our own God and live for our own glory. We really, really struggle with these things. Uh, we're going to come back and visit this um, because I, I want to really hit on maybe some things that we practically do worship in our lives. Uh, but first, we're going to look at why, why should we worship God? Why should we worship God? If worship is a lifestyle, if, if worship is more than just coming to church, if worship is what we actually glory and what we treasure, why should we worship God? Um, in, in Romans 12.1, uh, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Uh, the NIV says, I, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to worship, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. So he's saying, in view of God's mercy, you need to worship um, and so I'm going to do a quick synopsis of uh, Romans chapters 1 through 11. And we're going to look at what Paul is saying in view of God's mercy. Romans chapter 1. God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness because people are worshiping other things than God. People are worshiping idols, and so God's wrath is coming against that. Chapter 2 talks that it says, Every human will be punished according to their sin. Those who are under the law will be judged by the law. Those who are not under the law will perish outside the law. For all humans 
show that the law is written in their hearts and their conscience also bears witness. And so all are guilty, all are sin, all are in sin, all are, are born sinning. Um, he's saying the Jews who are under the law, they will be judged because of the law. Their sin will be shown because of the law. Those who are outside, those who are non-Jewish, Gentiles, their consciences bear witness to the law in their hearts. Um, chapter 3 says, All are under sin, both Jew and the Gentile. Uh, in Romans 3, uh, 10 through 18, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This was our situation. And we need to hear what our situation is. If we're going to view, if we're going to worship because we're, we're doing this in view of God's mercy, if we're going to glory in God, we need to know where we came from. Uh, Jesus in Luke 7 uh, is talking about a woman. And he says, Her many sins are forgiven, for she loved much. But he is forgiven little, loves little. We have been forgiven much. We have been forgiven much. Uh, still in chapter 3, we see the, the law was given to show us our sin, to show us our need for God. We have all sinned. We have, always, we have all gloried and worshipped in other things in Jesus. But because of the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. In chapter 4, all people at all times have been justified by faith, even Abraham. God credits our righteousness by faith, not by works, and not because of heritage. We are justified before God by faith in Christ, not because uh, we grew up in a Christian family and both our parents were Christians and our grandparents were Christians and we grew up going to church all the time. That's not why we're justified. It's not because we pray to prayer. It's not because we do religious stuff. We're justified because of faith in Christ. Chapter 5. Through faith we now have peace with God. We were enemies of God, yet Christ died for us. We have been justified by God through the blood of Christ and are saved from his wrath. We are reconciled to God through Christ. Jesus was the new and better Adam. While sin came into the world through the sin of Adam, death spread to all men. But just as one trespass brought sin and death to all, one act of righteousness brought life for all who believe. And so the sin of Adam, all men were cursed with all men, women, children. Everyone was cursed with sin. We, we have a sin nature. We, we are born into sin, uh, loving sin. Uh, but one act of righteousness, Christ, and his death on the cross, and his resurrection, uh, righteousness has been birthed. Chapter 6. We are now dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. We were slaves to sin, but we are now we are slaves to righteousness. Sin leads to death, but the fruit of righteousness leads to sanctification and eternal life. Chapter 7. We have died to the law, so we might belong to another, Christ, 
in order that we may bear fruit for God, so it may show the world that God is our treasure, God is our glory, and not stuff. Chapter 8. Because of Jesus, there is now no condemnation, for God did what the law could not do and will never be able to do by sending Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Those who walk in the flesh cannot please God, but we are led by the Spirit of God and are sons of God. The Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Things will be tough. We'll suffer. Uh, Creation will groan for the work of salvation to be complete. We will also groan as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us. He prays for us in accordance with God's will. Um, this is a big thing. I mean, we're, we're seeing tragedy in the world. We're seeing an earthquake in Haiti a month ago. We see another huge earthquake in Chile a few days ago where people's lives are being absolutely torn apart. People's lives are being taken. Uh, thousands dead. People's lives are being absolutely ripped, ripped apart. Um, you know, it came out in the video as well earlier. Uh, you know, Relationship with Jesus does not mean things go perfectly. You know, in Romans 8, it says creation is, is groaning for the work of salvation to be complete. It is groaning inwardly for a redeemed world to come, for Christ to come back and redeem things. Um, Continuing in chapter 8, it says, And we also know that for those who love God, all things will work together because God will finish the work of salvation that he has started for all those who are called because it is God who justifies. There is none to condemn. Chapter 9, God is the potter and we are the clay. Some he has made for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Salvation is not a human endeavor. Salvation is of the Lord and he chooses whomever he wills. Our hearts can only be turned from stone to flesh by God and will remain stone until he turns it. Chapter 10, the message of salvation is for all people. Not all will be saved, but the message goes out to all. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Because of this, we need to go and preach the gospel to those who have not heard it so that they might be saved. Chapter 11, God has not rejected his people Israel. There's been a partial hardening of Israel so that salvation will come to the Gentiles. We have all been disobedient and none had deserved mercy, but God in his grace has offered mercy to him be the glory forever. And so Paul asks, in light of God's mercy, in light of all of that, to live as a living sacrifice because this is your spiritual act of worship. Because you were dead in your sins and in your trespasses, but God, in his great mercy, not because of works done in righteousness by us, but because of Christ, he has saved us. We do not deserve mercy, but he offers mercy. And because of this, because of this, we glory 
and Christ. And he is our joy. And he is our hope. And we worship him because of this. We worship him. What are we worshiping? Um, I want to post a series of questions on the screen. Uh, this, is, this is a modified list of questions from Mars Hill Church in Seattle. It has been extremely challenging uh, looking through these questions as I, as I prepared for tonight. Uh, extremely challenging uh, in my own life, and I, and I pray that it will be extremely challenging in your life uh, to challenge the idols that you are keeping and holding on into uh, in your hearts. Um, so let's take a look. Who or what do I make sacrifices for? Who or what do I make sacrifices for? Is it a boyfriend or girlfriend? No. Uh, you know that you shouldn't be with this person, namely because they're not a Christian, you know? Uh, but, you know, maybe, you know, I'm with them because I want to show them Jesus. You know, I, I want them to be saved. But what you're doing is you're showing them that you worship them and not Jesus. Because Jesus ask you not to do those kind of things, and yet you're doing them. So who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping a boyfriend or girlfriend? Are you making sacrifices and cutting corners for them? Is it food? Do you glory in food? If you glory in food and you worship food, you will make sacrifices. You will sacrifice health. You will sacrifice money because food is very expensive. Um... You know, do you go to the grocery store and covet food? Ooh, that looks good. I've never seen that. Is that a new flavor? I'm going to get me some of that. You know? And we worship food. We make sacrifices for food. Is it work? Are you sacrificing time with your family? Are you sacrificing time with God, you know, to, to pursue a career? or to, to better your work, or to, uh, you know, to, to forge forward with it? Are you always glued to email? Are you glued to your phone all the time? You know, do you, do you miss uh, communing with the saints and worshiping corporately and in your community group because of work all the time? You know, are, are, you, are, you, making, are you making sacrifices mainly for work because that is what's your glory and that is what you're running after? Uh, number two, who or what is the most important to me? What person or thing, if taken away, would absolutely wreck your life? What person or thing, if taken away, would absolutely wreck your life? You know, uh, for some people, sadly, it's as small as like a video game console. If their video game console went down like, and they couldn't replace it, like they would be absolutely distraught because there went like 40 hours a week or 20 hours a week 
of what they did. Now what are they going to feel at that time? You know, it absolutely wrecked them. It could be as simple as a small thing as that. You know, what if your cable went out during the week and it wasn't going to be fixed and you couldn't watch your shows and you didn't have internet because everybody watches TV on the internet now? You know, would that wreck you? Would you be like, ah, I can't watch whatever? You know, would, would, would you be distraught? Um, I, I have been challenged in my life uh, <laughs> through this. You know, what if they canceled the NFL season because there was no collective bargaining agreement? You know, I, I seriously, like, that seriously could be like a huge issue of, of, of worship for me. Like, I really like watching the Eagles play. And if they're not playing, I really like watching whoever else is playing play. Um, you know, what would that, I really wonder, you know, what would that do to me? What would that do to me if, if that was just taken away? You know, uh, what, is, what is important to me? You know, what is your life built on that if it was taken away, you would totally be a wreck? You'd totally just be distraught? You know, what if, what if your boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with you? You know, what if you lost your job? What if all these things happened? Would you just totally just fall apart? Number three. Who or what makes me the most happy? What do you run to? You know, is it comfort? Do you just try to escape people a lot of times? You know, because you're around them all the time for your job or for, for work or for school. You're like, ah, if I could just get away from people, I would be happy. If I could just go to my special place and do my special thing, you know, whether it's Starbucks or, or, or wherever, you know, or if it's your living room with the, the recliner, you know, where are you escaping to? Um, Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Our glory should be in God. Our joy should be in God. Number four, where do you give your first fruits? Where do you spend your money? You know, if you were in a community group, you would know that because everybody has their budgets done, right? That's like Dave Ramsey. Everybody has their budgets done. So everybody knows exactly where every dollar is going throughout the week. <laughs> now, but where do you spend your money? Where is it going? If you look at it, will that be a telling sign for you? Even if you don't have very much money, where do you spend the little that you have? Do you give your money sacrificially out of praise and worship to God? Who gets the best of you? Who gets your first fruits? Who gets your best time? Number five, what are you planning and praying for? You know, some of you are planners where you have everything written down, uh, it's either in your Outlook calendar or your phone or, or in a real calendar, like a paper one. Uh, you know, some of, it's, some of you are just like in your mind. You have all these ideas and plans and things. But what are you planning and praying for? 
Some of you are probably praying for idols in your life. And God does not like to grant idols to people. Some of you feel probably entitled to things, and you pray for those things that you feel entitled for. Well, I'm single, and I want to be married, so I'm praying to get married, and God hasn't given me a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse yet, and so I'm, I'm angry at God. Or I'm supposed to be this, or I'm supposed to be that. Or at this point in my life, I, I was supposed to have this, or I was supposed to have that. And so I'm praying for this, but God hasn't given it to me. Why? Maybe it's an idol in your life. Maybe you're glorying in that thing so much that God doesn't want to give it to you. God wants you to love him and cherish him, not this thing. Maybe you're praying for idols. Maybe you should look at that. Number six. Who or what, if taken from your life, would cause you not to walk as faithfully with God? Uh, This came out in the video before the service as well. You know, and I've done serious thinking about this one as well. What if something happened, a tragic accident happened to my wife or my son, and they died? You know, what if that happened? What would be my response to God? Would I see God as glorious and holy and good? Or is my view of God dependent on how well he protects my family? And if God doesn't protect my family good enough, then I'm out. God, I can't believe you let my son die. God, I can't believe you let my wife die. And because you let them die, it's your fault and I'm out. I'm not going to worship a God like that. Is that your view of God? Is that your view of God? If that is your view of God, then you're worshiping, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping your family. And you're worshiping the protection of your family. More than you're worshiping God. What if taken from you would cause you not to walk faithfully with God? Number seven. What do I devote my spare time to? What do, you, what do you do with the time that you have? Some people are, are completely strapped for time. They feel like they have no time. It's like the time they do have, they're like sleeping, doing homework, trying to catch up with family. You know? And some others have a lot of time. And some people have seasons where they have a lot of time. And what are you doing with your time? How much of it do you waste? How much of it do you spend on just completely selfish desires? in the name of whatever. I just need to relax. I just need some me time. I just need to veg out. And it's not that you shouldn't have solitude, and it's not that you shouldn't get away. Okay, I'm not saying that these things are bad. But is that like what you're after all the time? With your time? Are you real selfish with your time? The the little time that you have? You want to keep to yourself over here? Because you really, really are glorying in that? Number eight, where is your functional heaven? When you daydream, what does your functional heaven look like? It probably looks like the cover of a magazine. 
white sandy beaches, a big yellow thing in the sky with palm trees. You know, uh, about three weeks ago, I was there. I was I was in sin, worshiping that. Like, we have these points that we're trying to use. We thought about going on a vacation. Um, and uh, I was completely engrossed in it. Completely engrossed. So that's all I wanted to look at on the internet was where can we go. That's all I wanted to think about. That's all I wanted to talk about. Like, I was completely engrossed. Like, I was glorying in this vacation that we might have. Like when you daydream, like what does your functional heaven look like? You know, compare your functional heaven to real heaven. Does it look the same? Your functional heaven, what you daydream, to where you would go to where everything bad would be away. If I could just go here, everything would be good. This is my functional heaven. This is my place of safety. This is where I want to go. This is where I daydream about. Does that look anything like the real heaven? Where we're going to worship and glory in God? Does it look anything like that? Is it even similar? Number nine. Who or what is your functional savior? You know, what for you is the equivalent of hell on earth. For some people, hell on earth is being single. And so their functional savior is being married. Some people, hell on earth would be losing your job. And so their functional savior would be employment. Like they feel completely worthless, completely whatever, they don't have a job or or this. And so they're glorying in employment. Or they're glorying in, oh, I have to make this much money. And money. Who or what is your functional savior? What do you really believe that will save you from pain and from misery and from sorrow and from discomfort? That thing that you believe that will really save you from pain and discomfort and sorrow is your functional savior. Number 10. What good thing has become a God thing? Most of us will never actually serve images that we carved out of wood. Uh, Here in America, especially here in Hannibal, you probably won't run into that much. Um, What we like to make idols out of are good things. We like to take things that God has created and make them into idols. Uh, Many people idolize family. Many people worship their kids. Um, And that is a a good way to make your kid a spoiled, rotten brat, is to worship them and to ruin them by doing that. To make everything about them. To put everything on on hold in your schedule around your kid. Sorry, we can't do that because little Johnny here, you know, or we can't do that, or we can't do that. Everything is about your kids, and, and everything else is hands off, because 
It's kid time. You know, people are worshiping their kids. People worship their families. Jesus has some harsh words in the New Testament about family um, and about how you should worship God and not family. So what good things, what good things that God has given us are you becoming a God thing? What created things are idols in your hearts? Um, I want to take these questions and I, and I don't want you to just ask them of yourselves because a lot of times you'll lie to yourself and you'll, you'll compromise within your own, with your own thought process and your, and your own heart. If you're married, have your spouse. Ask, ask these with your spouse. Have them answer them honestly. You know, if you're not married, find someone who will answer them honestly. If you're in a community group, find someone in your community group and have them ask you these questions and answer them honestly. Man, do you see any of these in my life? And a lot of them, you're just going to have to search your own heart because a lot of them are internal idols that you don't necessarily flaunt for other people to see, but they're in here. And if things happened, you would totally be broken. You would totally fall apart because you're glorying and worshiping those things that are in your heart and not worshiping God. John 5, 21 says, Keep yourself from idols. And if you worship God, you will keep yourself from idols. Uh, we're going to pray. Uh, and then... After we pray, uh, we are going to uh, watch a video. Um, we, are, we are doing, uh, we're taking up an offering, a special offering for Churches Helping Churches, uh, which is specifically money going to help rebuild the church in Haiti. Uh, after the, the horrific earthquake that happened in Haiti, um, I think we, we can remember the, the people in Chile as well a horrific earthquake just happened in Chile a couple days uh, ago as well. Uh, but after I pray, uh, we'll watch a video uh, because we want to worship God with our finances as well uh, because all of life is worship. Um, and so, so let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue uh, the work of building the church back in Haiti. Father, I pray that you would continue to uh, give Christians strength there. I pray that you would continue to bring people to faith there. Father, I pray for practical needs in Haiti. I pray that money going there would go to the right things, Father. I pray against greed and corruption within the government and with, again, people that are collecting money. Father, I pray that uh, through this tragedy, Father, that people's idols would be smashed and they would worship you and not stuff and not security and not comfort. Father God, I pray that you would show us our hearts. Show us what we treasure more than you. Father, help us bring people into our lives, Father. That will help us look and see, do we treasure, do we hope in, do we glory in anything more than you. Father God, I pray that you would take away our idols, that you would get rid of them, that you would help uh, bring other people along, Father, to help in that process. Father, that we would be worshipers of you and not 
worshipers of stuff. We pray these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen.